Uh, I want to mention um, something here as far as a resource tonight. We've been doing books of the month. I'm going to jump to the book of the month for April for a particular reason. In fact, we're going to try to mention it Sunday or sometime soon as well. Uh, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross is a collection of 25 short readings. You could maybe even think of it like a devotional. Uh, there are 25 short readings. And probably the, the way we recommend using this is reading it almost like an Advent devotional up to Christmas. You could use this reading it up to Easter. And so we've got to get a little bit of a head start with it. We thought of it for the month of April, but in fact you need to start in the month of March if you want to do one a day. And so this is available in our bookstore. You can see they're fairly short. It's not a very long book. It's 25 of these readings, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. I'll give you a little preview of the chapter titles. Uh, True Contemplation of the Cross. Uh, he Set His Face to Go to Jerusalem. An Innocent Man Crushed by God. The Cup. Gethsemane. Betrayed, Denied, and Deserted. So this is walking you up through the different steps of Christ each day reading. So just something if you want to pick it up. And I'm going to do it again. Is anybody, if you'll read this and would like to have it, uh, I'd love to give this copy away. Not take it away. Logan. There you go, bud. Enjoy it. Should be a good book. So <laughs> there's a couple things. I'd like to take a moment and pray for us again before we jump into tonight. A uh, fairly heavy topic. We speak about the judgment of Christ uh, on mankind. I'd like to pray for us. And in particular, you know, uh, even as this has gone on, so I've, I've heard reports of this without going into too much detail. I've heard reports around the world, even in China, places like that, that while this kind of panic and particular response to the coronavirus has gone on, it's actually opened doors and provided avenues for people to be sharing the gospel, uh, particularly in places like China where they might be a lot more controlling. The government's out of there letting people, they want, they want to quarantine the area. So, Christ, so missionaries and Christians are having a lot more freedom to be able to share the gospel. So even in the season of something like this, uh, we as Christians can see the gospel go uh, and to be used by the Lord. So let's take a moment and pray in particular for our world right now uh, before we get started. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much uh, for this great gospel that we do have, the great hope of the resurrected Christ that we'll celebrate here in a few weeks at Easter. Lord, we um, right now come to you understanding that our world is in a situation where particularly if, if they don't have a faith in you, they, they're worried, they're concerned about things going on. Lord, we thank you today that we have no fear of life or death. Lord, we as believers and as Christians can stand here and in confidence and in great joy, no matter what happens to us, know that we'll be delivered, whether we're healed here or healed in heaven. We thank you for that great hope we have in you. Lord, I pray as people are faced with um, just the thought of sickness or even of their own mortality, may even this coronavirus bring people to realize their need for the gospel. Lord, we pray for missionaries who are all around the world, particularly ones that are in regions where this is, had been impacted so much, even the ones in China. Lord, we ask now that you would give them great favor and boldness. We pray for people to come to faith in Christ through all this. Lord, we pray that you would heal people. And when they are healed, Lord, they might give you praise and glory for your word. So, Lord, we ask tonight as we look towards the subject of Christ's judgment that you would give us 
uh, great peace knowing where we stand before you. But also, Lord, I pray there are some here who are not believers. May they understand the serious nature of what stands in front of us and the great hope that can be found in Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you've got your hand out there, we are on to the phrase this week, whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Not a phrase, the quick and the dead, that you normally use. Uh, my first thought, maybe you're, some of you are smarter than I am, is to think of like a western and somebody standing in the street ready to, to duel it out when I think of the quick and the dead. Not, not a phrase you normally use. In fact, the word quick is, a, is an old English term. It, it actually means living. So he comes to judge. You could translate the living and the dead. So it's really not that unique of a statement when you think biblically. He's going to judge those that are alive and those that have died. It's actually, to use the term, you may, uh, I learned this today, so I thought I'd share it. Maybe, maybe some of you already knew this. But when we say the term quicksand, I guess my world always thought you kind of went down into quicksand quick. But it, it's actually the term living there. That's a, like a living sand. That's moving and kind of thing. Uh, so when you see the term quicksand, it's using quick in the same regards as this. So if you didn't learn anything else tonight, you learned the origin of the word quicksand. So uh, let's look at it in the context of the creed for a moment and think about the flow of the biblical story and in particular uh, the story that's told throughout the creed. Because oftentimes you have to understand whenever we talk about uh, the gospel, we can really tell it in the story of all of history. And so the gospel oftentimes will hold a past, present, and a future to them. When you tell somebody about the past, how we all fell in sin, how Jesus died for your sin, the present, you call on somebody to profess faith in him, and you speak out the future that one day he will stand and save you and, and you will be glorified and the Lord's going to work it in your life and save you and you'll live forever with him. So the gospel has this kind of grand story, past, present, future, and we make a turn in the creed this week because if you notice, I have the creed I think printed there in front of you, everything was past tense at the beginning, right? He made the heavens and the earth. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius crucified, dead, buried, all past tense, descended into hell. Third day, he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. Now, now what happened there? Ascended into heaven, now what does he do? We went present, right? He currently sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And so we've, we've now gone past, we jump to present, where Jesus is at, at the right hand of the Father. Now we're, we're going to be the first future statement of the whole creed. Right? Whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now we've made, through the gospel story and through the story of Jesus, we've looked in the past, we've seen the present, and now we talk about the future. What's going to happen? The fact that Jesus is going to come and judge creation. So what I've got tonight... Um, it's fairly simple. I'll just walk us through some key passages. Uh, and, you know, somebody told me before, these are some heavy passages. Usually judgment has some heavy tones to it, right? And so we walk through this. It's, it's a fairly serious subject to think about a coming judgment around the corner. And so 
there will be some parts tonight that have a heavy nature to them as we look towards what the judgment is. So let's, let's just take, take us through some key passages. In particular, we'll begin in uh, Matthew uh, 25. And we're going to look at there is that Jesus is coming to judge. Jesus is coming. It's going to happen. Look at the description here in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, then he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, and the goat on his right, the goats on his left. Then will, the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So let's, uh, I just want to pause for a moment and speak about the judgment, coming judgment of Christ. There, there is some differentiation in how people might see the judgment of Christ. We all as Christians affirm Jesus is coming back to judge the world. All on that page. There is some variation. There will be multiple passages we'll read tonight from Matthew all the way to Revelation where people could see up to three different judgments occurring by Christ. Some people may see it as just one judgment. I, without getting into all of the minor points of how people would divide them, I, I'll probably treat them as one tonight. Uh, however, I don't know if for the way I'm going to teach it tonight, it's going to really need to be uh, broken up. I just want to talk about the fact Jesus is coming. These are the things that are going to occur when he judges, and we'll all affirm that uh, together. So let's just look at this description here in Matthew chapter 25 of Jesus' judgment of the world, meaning that he is coming back. It will be in this glorious form. Uh, unlike when he was here before in this humble uh, body and his humility, he, he was here. Now he comes back in this glorious form. He sits on this glorious throne and he judges. Notice who he judges. All the nations. There's not going to be some portion of the world that will say, well, Jesus judges the Christians. Muhammad judges the Muslims. There's not like some particular different religions take on. Jesus judges all the nations. Every single person will come under his judgment. And uh, the judgment means separation. Did you see it there in the text? Meaning that he is actually going to separate people. He will divide them from one side to the other. So there, is, there are two groups. It's that simple. There are going to be two groups when Jesus separates everybody. This is, a, I think, a helpful question I often ask. One of the things that when I, when I want to share the gospel with somebody and um, I engage in the conversation, probably the question you're most familiar with is you can ask a person, what does it take for a person to get to heaven? That's probably the most common question uh, I know. You, you can also ask them, what do you believe the gospel is? Sometimes that, it, that results in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, it doesn't result in 
the good news that is, you know, redemption found in Christ. But one of the interesting, interesting things I've found is that sometimes you can, when you're trying to particularly teach a person the gospel, if you ask it in two or three different angles, you'll find they have misunderstanding when you, when you drive it further. Like you'll ask the first question, they may get that right because they've heard the answers, but then you ask a second or third question and you find out other things. So one of the, one of the questions that's been fairly effective for me over time would be to ask a question based off of this verse, is one day, we believe Jesus is going to judge the world. And when he judges the world, he's going to have everybody come in and he's going to divide everybody. What will be the determining factor by which he divides everybody? That's helpful to me. I found people that will give me the right answer over here. When we get to this part, this part of it, we'll say if they just do good works and follow Jesus. You know, this is kind of like live a good life answer there, but then over here they'll say faith in Christ kind of thing. So in, even in that moment, it won't be because you're a good person that you get divided and you make it, it will be because you are found in Christ at that point of judgment. So ultimately, uh, that can be a very helpful evangelistic question. So there's one thought. Let's press it further. Uh, look here in uh, John chapter 5, verse 22. In particular, I want you to see that Jesus judges. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to his son. So Jesus returns back to judge the world. Think of the irony, if you will, of the first time he was here to when he returns. So from his time on earth to die on the cross to his return, think about it. The first time he was the one judged. The second time, he's the one judging. The first time, he is wrongly judged. The second time, he is rightly judging. He's what has been so wronged against him the second time around, he will reconcile and make right. So ultimately, Jesus returns as the judge after having been judged by the world. Here's the second thing I want you to see is judgment is serious. Judgment is serious. Now, as I read this description here from Revelation 19, so really Matthew, as we, we look at it here, look at like 24 and 25, and Revelation 19, 20 are some of your key sections of texts that speak about the re return of Christ. There's others, but here's a couple of large sections where you can read a lot about the return of Christ. And so this is speaking about Jesus uh, in judgment. And listen to the descriptor here. Uh, as far as I know, my kids have never come home from church having colored this picture in Sunday school. So, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is a serious day of judgment coming. In many ways, we've talked a lot about this, the, the creed being counter-cultural. And I think of probably few things in the modern era of America that was just more offensive and people want to push away than the fact that they're going to stand before a holy God and be judged for their actions. People do not want to think about that part. And in fact, that, that God has a wrath against sin that must be reconciled in Christ. So if you can get this part of the gospel, Jesus is pretty easy. Jesus is a natural next step. But the offensive part is the understanding that one day you will stand before God and answer. Like, you'll be judged. And there is a wrathful, holy God by which we will be judged. Here's the third one. The hour is unknown. We'll go back to Matthew 24. So in other words, we don't know when this is going to happen. We can't sit here and say, I know, and there's been plenty of predictions over the years of it's going to happen at such and such date, such and such time. Day comes, time comes, <laughs> things keep going, right? Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, and nor the sun, <laughs> right? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? But the Father only. What a Trinitarian statement. That's why I say the Father planned this whole thing. Verse 37, for as were the sons of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came, and it swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. So don't try to figure out when this day is coming. We don't, we don't know. We have to live in regards to it could happen at any time. There, there's a sense at which we know that judgment is before us at any moment. We must be ready at all times. And... But here's what's interesting. There is a day fixed, Acts 17, verse 31, because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by the raising him from the dead. So he's going to judge. You just don't know when. We can't sit here and say that ultimately God's going to be judging the world at this point. We don't know when he's going to do it. We know that there may be signs that come with it. And we know there may be things in the world now we can point to and say these things are happening and these things are happening. But there's been a lot of bad stuff happening for a really long time. 
It's hard to be able to point and say, well, this is it. And in fact, the Bible saying it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's hard to sit there and pinpoint and say, well, this was it. Because people have been pointing to a lot of stuff for a really long time. I think what we need to know as Christians, I don't think we need to worry as much about when. We must be worried more about what we are doing. Like how we are living as we wait. What are we doing in the meantime? Look at Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. Just listen to the phrase, stay awake. Why? So what's the instruction? If you don't know, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So being ready, how, how do you know when, when he's coming? You don't know, but you should always stay ready. So the question is, uh, is it a matter of where you're going to be? What, what is that? You think about every day at any sort of moment, what would you want to be caught doing? Right? This would be a good one, right? You're at church? Got your Bible open? This would be a real good one for Jesus to come find you doing, right? Look, Jesus, I got my Bible open. I'm at church. I'm not asleep. I've stayed awake. You know, all that. There's sometimes you probably think, man, I, I probably wouldn't be found doing that. But I don't know if it's a matter of, like, even where you are. Let's say you were just at the beach relaxing versus here. I, I'm not as worried because all those, you can do a lot of enjoyable things in life. You, know, you shouldn't walk around all the time with your Bible open, read your Bible every second. There are things you can do that you enjoy. But I think the bigger question for you, and here, here's, here's the two halves I want to say. Will you be found in Christ and faithfully walking with him? That's really what you want to see about your life. Am I a person who first has professed faith in Christ? In other words, you put all the stock in Jesus' righteousness, but since then you are walking in a way that is faithful and pleasing and trying to honor him with your life. So do you have a life that is, is ready for judgment? Are you ready for what is coming? So therefore, stay awake. Here's a fifth one. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Here's an interesting uh, text from Romans. You know, we've, we've read Romans a fair bit lately. And I may have put the wrong reference. It's actually Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Some of you that are smart biblical scholars, I don't know if yours says Romans 4. Mine says Romans 4. I made a wrong note uh, when I wrote it down. But it's actually Romans 2. And uh, I want you to see, particularly here, oftentimes as Christians we get frustrated and um, we want to feel like justice is not happening but we have to be able to trust the Lord with ultimate justice. You can't exact ultimate justice here on the earth. Look, look at verse, Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment 
when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Look what he says. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek the glory and honor of immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So, when you sin, you deposit and store up in a bank wrath. And then when you die, that wrath must be paid for. It's either going to be paid for by Christ or by you. And so when judgment is coming, the ledger is going to be zeroed out. And it's going to be zeroed out on somebody. So the, the, the comforting thing to the Christian is to know that I know at judgment, justice is coming. Which is hard to deal with in this life, right? You, you get caught up in somebody that wrongs you or somebody that does something to you, and you feel like, i got to get this thing leveled back out. You want to retaliate, you get bitter, you get angry, you, whatever, you want to, whatever you want to store up there. But you have to understand, all that's going to get taken care of. Justice will come. So you need to, oftentimes in the moment, learn to close your mouth. One of the things that uh, I've gotten myself into the past few years here, uh, my kids are in elementary school. I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old son. And so one of the things I've started doing the past few years is uh, coaching them in sports. And so uh, coaching brings a new level of self-control in my life as I want to be competitive. And so I feel a little bit, you know, I'm a pastor. I can't get thrown out of the game. So uh, there's certain things i got to control. Um, all the joking aside, you know, one of the interesting things that oftentimes you get, you want to say something to a ref, there's a call you don't like, or you feel like it needs to be called in a different way. And so one of the things that I've got to get the players to do is that if there is something going on, I don't, I don't mind pulling the ref aside and just talking to them, right? You can, you can have a conversation. You don't, have to, you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to be angry. Just have a conversation with the guy. And uh, that goes a lot further than if you, like, throw up your arms and say things. Yell at them across the court. So that's, that's the job. You know, as a coach, I feel sometimes I need to have a conversation with the ref or do something for my players. But you know what my players need to do? Shut their mouth, right? Don't talk to the coach. Don't talk back. I, you, you need to. In fact, my last game, one of my players, he, he looked over at the ref. He threw up his arms, and I said, oh, buddy, <laughs> stop it. And he about, he about got it on that one, I think. But in other words, don't, y'all don't talk back. Let coach, let coach take care of it. So take, take the example over and think of, Whatever sort of instance that you feel wrong, and you hear Jesus say to you, how many times should you forgive somebody, and he gives you these math problems and start multiplying stuff over, and you think, i got to do it lots and lots and lots and lots of times, and everything adds up, and you say, okay, Jesus said I should shut my mouth a lot of times, and I need to just look to him and say, you take care of it. Now, I, again, I'm not saying there's not times to confront people. 
I'm not saying there's not context. I do think when it comes to your deep and sometimes right-hearted desire for justice, you need to step back, hand that one over to the Lord Jesus, and know that the judgment of God is coming. And so for you as a believer, the, the fact that Jesus is coming to judge ought to be of comfort to know that he's going to make this thing right. Number six, uh, because of the judgment of Christ, the living and the dead, our mission matters. Matthew 28, many of you know the passage. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, what? This is your mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, what does he say? I am with you always to what? What sits in the picture, right? To the very end of the age. Even the judgment of Christ sits at the end of this. When he sends us out with this mission, it's looking at the fact that this age is coming to an end. There's a judgment that sits. So, so because of the judgment of Christ, the mission of the gospel really does matter, right? It matters that if you share the gospel with somebody, because that person is going to be in the divided groups. So, if I were to encourage you tonight, one way that the judgment of Christ should impact you personally is you should live your life sharing the gospel so that you don't have any regrets. What I mean by that is, and I'll just ask it simple tonight, is there somebody in your life that you know that the Lord's placed you there, oftentimes as family members, sometimes it can be a coworker or a neighbor, is there somebody that you know you have a window in the relationship and you, you, you believe you need to share the gospel with them? Like if you were to talk to yourself a few years down the road, and we were to have a conversation, you might say, you know what? I regret not having this conversation. So sometimes those are some of the most intentional conversations you'll have. Oftentimes they're with family members. I've shared in here, here about one that I had with my own uncle before I did his funeral, one I had with my aunt before I did her funeral. I believe my aunt was a Christian. I believe my uncle probably wasn't. But to this day, I could... I know that I had a conversation with him. Me and my dad are sitting there with his brother trying to share the gospel. Me and my dad sharing with his brother. Um, remember going with my wife to her grandfather to have a conversation to see where he was at. Uh, what's tough is these can be heartbreaking, can't they? Some of you guys have had these, right? They're hard. Uh, but the one thing is, I guess I want to say it like this. Is don't, don't leave it with a regret. I mean, as terrible as it is to, as it is to have the conversation, I, I'd say it's worse to have not had it and wonder. And even then, you, you don't, I, I don't create any false hope. Here's what I want to say is that I don't know, I don't know if I, I gave my uncle the gospel. I don't know what he did on his deathbed. I don't know as he, as he faced the end. I don't know what happened in his mind. So I don't know. But I do know that 
I had the chance to be faithful. So I guess for all of, all of you, I just want to say our mission matters, the gospel matters, and a question for you is that you think about the judgment of Christ, when you think about people in your life, can you, can you list it out and say, is there anybody today I need to kind of make an, a goal to have a conversation with them or where they're at? Here's number seven. Christ's return encourages believers. So Christ's judgment should be encouraging to believers. I don't know if I'd ever noticed the phrase. I'm familiar with this passage in Hebrews 10. It's one about, it's usually, this is probably the most common passage to say you should come to church. Uh, but it's interesting the uh, judgment portion or the eschatological, to use the big word, the end times portion of this passage. Look at Hebrews 10 with me for a second and see the last phrase. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. In other words, we, we don't neglect coming together. This is a good verse to say, come to church. As is the habit of some. Some people are doing that. They're skipping church. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you what? You see the day drawing near. The day of judgment that sits in front of us. As you see that coming near. Here, it's interesting that the two are connected. That as we see judgment coming, we as Christians ought to be encouraging one another. There's something good about how we encourage one another. So just, just a few ways that might play out. Uh, for some of us, that might mean that you know that the suffering in which you currently are going under and what the difficulties you had, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, emotional struggles that you have, you know things like this light and momentary infliction will not be worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in you, but you have to go through the judgment of Christ. And so what I'm saying is that, that us as Christians, you, you, you can encourage one another and somebody says, hey, I'm having this terrible time and I'm in this terrible suffering. You can say, look, that suffering not going to last forever. It, it won't. That's why Paul in Philippians 1 will say, I am sure, when he's in prison, he says, I am sure of my deliverance. How can he be so sure of his deliverance? He's not 100% sure he's getting out of prison. He's just sure he's going to get delivered one way or the other, right? We live, Christ, dies, gain, there's this pull. And so he knows it's coming. So we should be encouraged, and as we see the day drawing near, we as Christians, we meet together, we're encouraged our suffering will be over. Here's another one uh, that should be happening for us. We are forgiving of one another. As we see that day coming up, we're willing to bear with one another and be more forgiving because we understand that when we stand before Christ that day, what kind of forgiveness has got to happen for you and me? So what ought to happen as we gather together and we're encouraging one another, we ought to be willing to say, I forgive you because we see that day drawing near when we are forgiven for our sins. Here's the third thing that the day of judgment happens for Christians and is encouraging. It keeps our focus on what's important. Keeps our focus on what's important. M meaning that, that there are treasures in heaven and treasures in earth. And I know which one Jesus told me that I should hoard. Like I should be greedy for treasures in heaven, right? I said, you Man, I am after, and I am keeping as many treasures. I'm building up my treasure in heaven. You, know, you think, man, that's, 
that's not bad, right? It's good. So there's a level up when I understand that all of a sudden all the bank accounts of this world zero out and then the spiritual bank account shows up. I see the day drawing near. I'm encouraged that there's something else more important than maybe my bank account in this world and whatever things are happening here. So as you see the judgment of God, judgment of Christ coming, you know that. Here's, a, here's another one. It, it, you should use it as a tool in your spiritual walk. Here's what I mean. Um, how often when you are personally struggling in your faith, do you use the understanding that there is a day it's all reconciled to be of encouragement and comfort to you? In other words, it ought to be something that brings you great joy. It ought to be something that as you look out to that, it, it ought to be something that, that helps you. When you think about your death, while I understand there are some aspects of it that can be stressful, that's why Paul would say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So for him, it was of comfort to know on the other side of that, I long to be with Christ. It was helpful to his spiritual walk. So if you don't, under, if you don't, if you don't have a world that thinks about the judgment of Christ, have a world that thinks about anything past this life, you're missing out on a lot of, I would just even say, tools the Lord has put into your life to help you. To have joy and happiness and peace and strength. And to have the right priorities. Here's the last one. And this will lead me to my, this is really my eighth point, so you don't have to write it down. Is that, is that as Christians, it causes us to celebrate. Meaning that as a Christian... At the judgment, there is this sense of celebration. So let me carry a metaphor into this last passage before I read it. This is a metaphor in particular that speaks about Christ's judgment. Um, but I want to tell the metaphor in the Bible. I'll read the passage. We'll connect it all together as I do it. The, the supper... The Last Supper, in a sense, is this picture of a, of a meal in which we are remembering or thinking on the body and the blood of Christ. It's when the church comes together, partakes of these elements, and in that moment, bound as a, a church, we are, in a sense, thinking of, remembering, in many ways, worshiping and with this great thankfulness in our heart for the body and blood of Christ. I don't want to say it's full-on celebratory, but there is a level of joy the Christian has in the Lord's Supper, right? Let's carry it to uh, Matthew 25. Again, we're back in Matthew 25 to this parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. They went to meet the bridegroom. So this is a, a wedding scenario, scene here. So they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish Five were wise. Again, the picture of the Gospels, two groups. Jesus uses this often. Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. 
So bridegroom's delayed, things get late, fall asleep. But at midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and you, since there will not be enough for us and you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, watch therefore, for you know neither day nor the hour. So, so let me carry this out for you. First of all, this is a parable. Uh, one of the rules of a parable, uh, like other points of interpretation in the Bible, don't try to pull a point from everything Jesus says here. Oftentimes, parable may only, parables may only have one or two points. So you have to be careful with them. But in particular, you, you get the scene here. This parable is about being ready for the coming of Christ, for his judgment. Being ready, as we talked about at the very beginning. But what's interesting, when they come, there's not enough for the, the five ones that are going to be received in. Don't, their faith or what they have won't bring the other five in. Right? There's a division here. And so they leave. They can't make it in. These five come in. But look where they go, because this is part of the wedding uh, celebration. They go into the marriage feast. If you know Revelation, you know there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. This joyful celebration with the Lamb. And so they come in. After the judgment, they are, are in. They... They've now been a, they're a part of this great worship and celebration with the Lord. And the other five are not. So a couple pieces there is to understand, even at the judgment of Christ, it's terrible and it's terrifying as we described Christ when he comes because of his, both being the judge and the justifier, we will be brought into and celebrate this day. It's, it's a great comfort for us Christians because it's actually something we look forward to knowing about the comfort we have in Christ. But the question even posed here and the warning is, are you ready? Are you going to be ready to stand before the Lord in judgment? Because as the creed says and the Bible says, that Jesus is coming to judge. He's going to judge those that are walking around alive. He's going to judge the dead. He's going to judge everybody from all of time. And they're going to go into two groups. The question is, are you ready and which group will you be in? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we know we live in a broken, sinful world. Lord, it, it, it's difficult. We have difficulties in sickness. We have difficulties, Lord, in just struggling to make it through the day. People doing us wrong. Lord, it's just, 
It's sometimes just hard to wake up and grind out another day. But Lord, we know in this sinful world in which we're striving to walk with you, we know there comes a day when we won't have to do that anymore. That one day we'll, we'll be with you. Lord, we look forward to the day when no longer we look through a veil, but we see you face to face. Lord, we look forward to the day then when one day what we now have faith in will one day be what we see. Lord, we look forward to that. We look forward to the day of judgment when we know, for those of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will stand before you righteous and be declared holy and righteous and perfect because of the blood of Christ. Lord, we're thankful for that. And Lord, I pray for those here that if they're not sure, they're not walking with you, that Lord, you'd be at work in their hearts so they might profess faith in you, so they might be ready for that day. And Lord, I pray for us here even as we think about loved ones and friends, people that we know, Lord, that aren't ready for that day. Lord, may we be faithful to give them the gospel. And Lord, we ask you to work in their hearts to save them. Lord, we thank you for our time in the Word tonight. We thank you for the great hope to be found in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.